My guest today is Bill McKibben. Bill McKibben is one of the nation's best-known environmental activists and authors. His book, The End of Nature, in 1989, first alerted the American public to global warming, and since then he has written many books and articles for leading publications about the importance of our environment and humanity's relationship to nature and alternative energies and the dangers of genetic engineering, and uh, especially on the East Coast, the ecology of upstate New York and New England. Bill is the creator of the 350 organization movement, a national grassroots movement to mobilize a population to exert pressure on our elected officials to move more diligently and aggressively on global warming and the global tipping points upon us. His newest book is called Deep Economy, The Wealth of Communities and the Durable Future. He is a resident scholar at Millbury College and lives with his family in New England on land Robert Frost once owned. Nice to have you with us today. As always, Gary, a real pleasure. There are still pockets in the country and some quite influential in the media who are denying the severity of global warming. Uh, People like Alex Jones and the Fox Network folks come immediately to mind. And while this may have been a valid stance for them, let's say a decade ago or two, when the scientific community was more divided on the data, to me that is no longer valid. If you were to address all the original global warming deniers out there, what would be the main points to convince them that they should re-examine their thoughts? Well, I mean, at this point, the people who are still denying global warming aren't really going to listen to science or anything else. It's become an ideological um, obsession with a very small number of people. And as with many other things, you know, Fox News is the last bulwark of a uh, certain kind of um, outdated worldview. But at the moment, it's become, it's always been pretty hard to be a global warming denier because you had to swim upstream against the uh, current of scientific thinking. Now you have to also, you know, swim upstream against the uh, rapids of just mere observation. You have to come up with the reason why the Arctic has melted in the last two summers so extravagantly, why all the world's high-altitude glaciers are melting why we have tens of millions of acres of dead forest across the boreal north, uh, why the world's oceans have become considerably more acidic inside the last decade as they absorb more CO2, uh, on and on and on. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you've got to be uh, really ingenious to um, maintain your own illusions anymore. I appreciate that. Thank you. We have the famous environmental scientist and philosopher Professor James Lovelock scheduled as a guest in two weeks, and his predictions for humanity's survival and well-being are perhaps the most grim. Now, knowing his work as you do, and he is rather emphatic on this, he's convinced that uh, there's no great outcome that's going to happen. He's convinced that many of the tipping points will tip no matter what we do, though we should be doing things to prevent further tipping points. Could you give us your scenario about uh, what you see the science showing us uh, over the, let's say, the next 10 to 20 years, since even now what would have been uh, thought to be premature 10 to 20 years is now within the realm of possibility because of chaos theory, uh, where 
people do not have an accurate mathematical model of what could be happening, and therefore saying that something won't melt, like we won't see any substantial melting on Greenland or Antarctica's two major glaciers for a hundred years, no one with certainty can say that now. So your thoughts on that, please. Take yeah, your time. Yeah, no, things are happening much more quickly and on a larger scale than many anticipated. I don't have any great brief for optimism. I mean, the name of the I wrote the first book about all of this 20 years ago this year, and it was called The End of Nature. So I'm no huge reflective optimist. On the other hand, as you point out, uh, the choices we have to make now are about keeping this from getting entirely and completely out of control or not. There's no stopping global warming, but there may be, uh, you know, ways to prevent it from reaching the scale of absolute civilizational collapse. And that's why we've started this big worldwide campaign called 350.org. 350, which is a number we didn't know even 18 months ago, turns out to be the most important number in the world. Uh, Jim Hansen, the great NASA climatologist, and his team published a paper in January of 08 saying that any value for carbon in the atmosphere greater than 350 parts per million was, as they put it, not compatible with the planet on which civilization developed and to which life on Earth is adapted, which is pretty strong language for scientists. And it's especially strong language when you realize that we're already well beyond that figure. We're at 387 parts per million and rising about two per year. So we're, I mean, which is why the Arctic is melting. It's why Australia is catching on fire. We're not like the guy who goes to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, keep eating uh, the way you're eating and someday your cholesterol will be too high and you'll have a heart attack. We're like the guy who goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, whoa, your numbers are off the charts. You're going to have a heart attack. You better change your diet today and hope that you get back in that safe zone before the heart attack comes. Well, we're having heart attacks. That's what it means when all of a sudden there's 25% less ice than there used to be in the Arctic. Um, And hence, we have to react far more urgently than we have in the past. That's why we're doing this huge campaign that I hope people will get involved in at 350.org in October. On October 24th, we'll be having a a global day of action with protests and rallies and events all over the world. We just started registering actions three weeks ago, and we're already above a thousand in half the countries on Earth. And there'll be, you know, Maori, people high up on the ridgelines in New Zealand where the first sun hits the planet every day, and there will be people in the inner cities and 350 scuba divers on the Great Barrier Reef and farmers and, you know, you, you name it, taking part in country after country after country, churches ringing their bells 350 times, on and on and on. And, you know, it's, there's a, the world's leaders are meeting in Copenhagen in December, to come up with a new plan for dealing with carbon. Given what the science is telling us now, uh, it really is our last good chance to do anything about it. So we're going all out in October to try, and I guess try to sort of summon the uh, antibodies of the world's immune system into action. That would be all of us uh, to finally say, you know, maybe just in time that we're going to try and put the brakes on. 
Recently, I went up to Columbia University on Broadway at 116th Street, and I asked graduate students who were coming out of the campus gates, could you explain any of the 12 tipping points? And, and after over 100, not one could explain even one. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, why don't people know about the 12 tipping points and their consequences? And this is a graduate school. This is Columbia University, an Ivy League school, one of the most uh, prestigious schools in America. What does it mean? And so I went down on Broadway at 83rd Street in front of our office here, and I started asking people as they came down out of the street from all walks of life now. Not a single person could tell me about the 12 tipping points. Would you take a little time now, please, and go through the 12 tipping points and why they're important and what it means when one of them tips and the likelihood that one of them may tip no matter what we do and the consequences so we can begin to become aware and prepare ourselves so we're not caught uh, blindsided when we wake up one day and something's happened and we say, how did that happen? Why didn't we know? I believe it's really important we do this. Could you do this, please? Yeah, I'll talk about some of the... uh climate tipping points that we understand, if you'd like. Sure, please. Um, You know, we're we're seeing very large-scale change. Name a major physical system of the planet, and we're seeing it shift in dramatic ways, and in ways that not only demonstrate what we're doing to the Earth, but that also raise dramatically the risks that we'll do it in a bigger way. So, for instance, you take that ice off the top of the north, and not only does that demonstrate that the planet's warming, there's no other reason that it would be melting, but it also removes this reflective white shield that would reflect 80% of the incoming solar radiation back out to space and replaces it with blue water that absorbs about 80% of that incoming solar radiation. Uh, that's a big problem. Um, you know, uh, as we begin to raise the temperature in the far north, we're quickly melting permafrost beneath the tundra and the taiga, and stored beneath that permafrost is large quantities of methane gas, CH4, another potent greenhouse gas. It's now seeping into the atmosphere in large quantities. And uh, exacerbating this global warming. That's really dangerous because even if we got our act together as a planet and reached the kind of political decisions that would slow down the release of carbon into the atmosphere from our cars and homes and factories, uh, we lack a means for refreezing the Arctic, for refreezing the permafrost. Um, On and on you can go. Uh, uh, We've seen massive tree die-off across the far north in the last two years because the pine bark beetle, a native insect, normally kept in check by low winter temperatures is no longer kept in check and there are now uh, uh, hundreds of square miles in British Columbia and stretching down into the American Rockies without a living tree. Um, That not only uh, proves that we're changing things, it also Uh, begins releasing lots of carbon from the soil of those dead forests and as they catch on fire, which they will, uh, huge blooms of carbon into the atmosphere exacerbating this problem. The same sort of things going on in our oceans. Uh, All of it, you know, I mean, you could go down the list for a long time, but all of it taking us to the place where we need 
very, very quick and urgent action to rein things in. And unfortunately, we're past the point where that action can be effective one light bulb at a time or one dinner at a time or one even one house or community or company at a time. Uh, we need to go to the top and rewrite the uh, rules around energy and especially the economics of energy. We need carbon to pay the price for the damage it does to the atmosphere. And if we do that, then there's some hope uh, that we will be able to really and seriously staunch the flow of carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, but that's why we're doing these huge, uh, this huge 350.org global protest. It's why we have, you know, offices in Delhi and uh, Budapest and Berlin and Quito and Johannesburg and the Congo and Australia and uh, on and on and on. By the way, just to remind people, the 350 parts per million is considered the CO2 atmospheric target that our planet needs to decrease to in order to perhaps halt the excessive acceleration of environmental catastrophe. The current level is about 385 parts per billion. How do you see the current financial crisis now contributing to a worsening of our pollution levels in the country, or is the crisis actually an opportunity to start implementing real environmental policy change? Cuts always. Um for the moment, we're actually using less fossil fuel and hence pouring less carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, depression is a pretty, you know, uh, inefficient way to try to get environmental progress. Um, but it does raise the chance that as we try to fight our way out of that recession with stimulus programs and things, we could spend that money wisely. Uh, on on the kind of green energy solutions that give us at least a certain amount of hope of uh, uh, making things work a little better in the future. And to his credit, uh, Barack Obama has gone at least some way down that course. So, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously a fraught moment economically. Uh, we can't let it delay progress on uh, our even larger economic uh, ecological crisis i mean the financial meltdown is bad enough but the uh, meltdown meltdown is uh, is an order of magnitude worse what are your views on obama's environmental czars and the proposals his administrator are generating i think he's got terrific people around him uh, van jones his green jobs czar is one of my favorite people in the whole environmental movement stephen chu the Nobel laureate physicist who's his secretary of energy has been frank and outspoken and uh, uh, quite powerful. Uh, you know, John Holdren, his science advisor, uh, is, I don't know, night and day does not strongly enough describe the contrast with his predecessors in the Bush administration. Um, you know, he's got terrific people around him. That doesn't mean that the fight is over or easy. Uh, the forces on the other side are enormously strong. And our job at 350.org is to give Obama and other leaders like him around the world the political space that they need to operate uh, uh, to show that there is a real movement. Because otherwise, you know, Congress remains uh, pretty largely owned by fossil fuel interests and utilities and so on and so forth. They don't need, Obama doesn't have the political space to do what the science demands. 
you know, nor do his counterparts in many other parts of the world, which is why we're working all over the world. Hmm. Last question for you. Would you take us through what is going to be, in your opinion, I realize it's just an opinion, so you'll be uh, subjective and speculative, but we need this insight. Uh, what's going to be happening, let's start with the United States, especially where we have high concentrations of people moving, Arizona, California, uh, New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, uh, North Texas, or South Texas, um, where many of us believe that it's not sustainable in the future, and yet people are actually moving there out of other places, and no one's telling them they shouldn't. Could you give us what you see as some of the potential or probable risks uh, yeah, sure. uh, around the United States. The Southwest is clearly already dry and going to get drier. In general, global warming seems to uh, amp up whatever is already going on in your neighborhood. So if you're in an arid place, uh, since warm air holds more water vapor than cold, we see increased uh, incidence of evaporation and hence of drought. Once that water's up in the air, it's going to come down. So in moist areas, we see dramatic increases in deluge and downpour and flood. And that's not just in the U.S., it's all over the world. Um, so, you know, everybody has a good deal to fear from this. Uh, but I think that you're right to single out some of those desert locations. Um, um, their water problems are going to become ever more severe. That sort of leads to the corollary, too, of what the world looks like on the other side of, of taking action about this stuff. If we begin to rein in the use of cheap fossil fuel, we're going to develop far more localized economies than the globe-spanning ones we have at the moment. And I think that'll mostly be a good thing as we begin to relearn some of the practical and psychological value of community uh, 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 in our lives as we have some reason to need our neighbors again. That's the hope anyway, but we can't get there unless we take dramatic action on this most pressing of problems and we do it right away, which is why I'm very hopeful uh, that, that 350.org will be high on the agenda of your listeners. I, I have to go because I have okay. a uh, call with the former Secretary General of the UN to talk about these questions um, um, well, Bill, Bill, very important but it's it, it's a great pleasure as always to talk with you and I, I will look forward to as October rolls around to you mobilizing uh, your crew to help in this uh, in this big effort we certainly will Bill thank you very much for Thanks taking so your much. time take care my guest Bill McKibben